Hey, if you want to take your Bibles, I know where we're going. We're going to Psalm 150. Psalm 150. And if you don't know where that is, if you take your Bible and you uh, plop it open right in the middle, it should be somewhere close to there. Sorry that I'm giving you those specific directions. It's just when you work with kids, you try to be specific. And uh, that doesn't mean they're always going to pay attention to what you tell them. But uh, like kind of when pastor dismisses the kids, right? And he tells them which way to go. And they all just go whichever way they want anyway. That's the way it works. But uh, I don't know about you guys. Hope you had a good afternoon. I spent my afternoon putting together Legos. That's right. It was Preston's Lego set. And he said, hey, Dad, do you mind if you, like, would you like to help me with this? How many of you ever helped your kid with Legos before? Does your kid end up helping or do they end up going to play and come back when you're finished, right? That's kind of the way it has happened with Preston over the years. And now that we have a daughter who loves Legos, it happens that way with her too. Daddy, can we put these Legos together? Which means, Daddy, can you do this for me? And then please hurry because I want to know when you're done so I can take it all apart and ask you to put it all together again, right? That's usually the way it works. Um, Preston is into Transformers right now. Any Transformers he can get a hold of. And so my parents so graciously have addicted him to Big Kmart. We can't call it Kmart anymore. We just call it Big Kmart. And if you've been in Kmart lately in Lebanon, you know that it's not full of a lot of things. Um, it won't be much longer. But uh, we go to Big Kmart, and he wants to buy Legos, and he wants to buy Transformers. How many of you have tried to put Transformers together before? Okay. And then my mom, because she knows Preston loves Transformers, which, Mom, I thank you for this, she brings him Transformers from the yard sale. Now, when you buy them at a store, they come with instructions about how to transform them. When you buy them at a yard sale, they come with missing pieces, like extra gummy bears stuck in certain parts of that thing, and uh, who knows what else, but they don't come with instructions. And when your son says to you, Daddy, I know you can do this, <sighs> I have Googled, I have found images, I have looked up old things, I have broken pieces, all to make sure that I followed the directions to put this thing together. Now, I shared a story with you guys uh, years ago, about the time Christine and I tried to follow directions to put together Ikea furniture. Have any of you put together Ikea furniture before? Basically, it comes with pictures of people with giant noses and just says, hey, call us if you have a problem. Otherwise, here's how you try to put it together. And we are putting together this bookshelf, which is one of the least complicated pieces of their furniture to put together. And somehow we still struggled to the point that Christina was in tears. I was breaking pieces, gluing things back together. And we said, never again. This is our last piece of Ikea furniture. Then I went and bought two of those exact same pieces for my office. I have since taken that thing apart four or five times by myself because it's easier that way for us in our relationship. But all that to say... When you have directions, it's nice to follow them because if you don't, things can go the wrong way. I went to a college in Minnesota as well, Pillsbury Baptist Bible College, which has since closed, and uh, they built this building. Was that building built when you went to school? Okay, so it's not as old as I thought it was. Okay, so this building, they, they built this building and they built it in two halves. And the plan was we'll build it, uh, the square building, we'll build triangle A first, and when we have enough money, we'll build triangle B. And they had us occupy the first two floors of the building. And they put an elevator that went from the basement all the way up to the third floor. And we would use the third floor periodically for some of our choir practice. Or that was where a friend and I went and we would practice for baseball. And I remember that while I was at school, they said, it's time for us to move into the process 
of finishing off the third floor. They brought in all these contractors and they started looking over the old blueprints and the directions for how the building should have been put together. And when they went to open up the elevator shaft to make sure that that elevator could go up just one more floor, they found that somebody had put the main water pipe for the building right through the middle of the third floor of the elevator shaft. Directions are great as long as you follow them. They don't do anything for us if we don't pay attention to them. In Psalm 150, I feel like we are given some very clear direction, instructions, a blueprint for what our praise for God should look like. In fact, if you haven't opened it yet, if you want to turn there in Psalm 150, I'm going to go ahead and read it and then we'll start working our way through this text so that we can look and say, if I'm supposed to be praising God, what should that look like for me? But we start by reading Psalm 150 and it says this, Praise ye the Lord, praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in the firmament of his power. Praise him for his mighty acts. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with the sound of the trumpet. Praise him with the psaltery and harp. Praise him with the timbrel and dance. Praise him with stringed instruments and organs. Praise him upon the loud cymbals. Praise him upon the high sounding cymbals. Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. So I think we could look at this text and say, if I have any questions about what it means for me to praise God, the author has potentially answered every question I may have. And before we look at those four questions, let me give you a little bit of information about this psalm. What do we know for sure about Psalm 150? We know, first of all, that this is, Psalm 150, the closing chapter of the entire book of the Psalms, or the Psaltery sometimes is what it's called. Almost as if it's a summary saying, everything I've told you so far, let me summarize it this way. With all the content I've given you, here's what I think we should do. We also know it's not just the close of the entire book of the Psalms. It's the closing chapter of the fifth book of the Psalms. And if you know, the Psalms, again, was divided into five books that kind of focused on different sections or as we try to categorize their content. Number three, though, we can say that this is the closing chapter of the final five psalms. You're like, cool, Tony. How long are you going to keep counting down? Here's what's neat, though, about those last five books of the psalms. They are grouped together in what is typically called a collection, the Hallel, H-A-L-L-E-L collection. They begin and they end the same way. They all say, praise ye the Lord. So we group them together. You can see, though, number four, that these are filled with a repeated command to praise. The term praise shows up 13 different times here in this text, in these six verses. And most every time it comes through as a command. And we could read that it literally says to us, you must praise the Lord. Not like you have a choice, but the direction is very clear. This, if you are a believer... If you understand who he is and your relationship to him, you must be praising the Lord. The term praise, like we said, could literally be translated hallel, H-A-L-L-E-L. And it means to brag or boast. How many of you have ever been in a conversation with somebody else and you've had that discussion about who is the better quarterback in the NFL? Anybody? Maybe you've had the discussion about who is the better basketball player. Michael Jordan versus anybody, and Michael Jordan kind of wins out, right? You've heard those before? Or you would say, again, in football, is it Tom Brady or is it anybody else? Or if you're a kid and you have a dad and you're at school when you're young, you say to that other kid, my dad is so fast, 
he can outrun a worm. Right? And then to step it up a notch, the other boy says, my dad is so fast, he could outrun a rabbit. Well, my dad is so fast, he could outrun a cheetah. And then just to make sure that this kid's dad is the best, my dad's so fast, he could outrun a comet. Right? It's that bragging, that boasting, it's building and saying, when everything else is compared to my dad, nothing is as good as my dad. My kids will never have that conversation with anybody. I guarantee it. I guarantee it. I would say, though, that my dad is better at a tuft than I will ever be. Dad, if I could take this time to talk to you, I would say that uh, I have bragged about you, and I really appreciate the way that you have shared God's word with me. How you've taught me to, to look into a text and to say, this is what it says, and this is what I must do. So I want to openly take time to thank you for that. I'm not just using it as an illustration. I was going to say something next and thought, oh, it's going to sound shallow. I don't mean it that way, but that's what we're supposed to be doing about God. To brag about God. To praise God for who he is. When you look at number five then, put it this way. It's bookended at the beginning and the end by the command to praise the Lord. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. It says, this is what I'm going to tell you. And I'll tell you everything in between. And this is what I want you to remember. The term Lord, when put that way in our English Bibles, is the term Y-H-W-H, Yahweh. The name that was used that we often hear, Jehovah. The most used name, most holy name of God. The text is clear. It says, praise the most holy being. The one who is set apart whose eyes cannot even look on sin, the one who is the covenant-keeping God, the one who, when he makes a promise, you know for sure there is no way he's going to break that promise, the one who, above all things, is sovereign, who ordains them to be, who made them, who controls what happens to them. This is the one that you should be bragging about. So he's essentially saying to us that when you want to brag and boast about something, you brag and boast about the most superior being out there, literally translated for you and me, hallelujah. Have you heard the term hallelujah before? We're saying praise the Lord, which I always find funny when we sing hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Praise ye the Lord. Like, why don't we pick which one we want to do? We're just shouting the same thing back and forth, which we say it like, oh, let's be louder, louder, louder. But isn't that what it's supposed to be like for us as Christians? We should be shouting that out. We should be bragging about God, bringing praise to his name, not to our own. And so as we summarize a few of these statements, like what do we know about this psalm? Let's look into what that blueprint looks like for us. We know what we're supposed to do. And knowing it is only half of knowing of, of actually acting on it. And so we should be acting upon this command that we're given. And so the author probably thought to himself, maybe, and maybe he didn't mean it, but essentially says to us, oh yeah, now you want to know what to do? Let me think of the questions you might ask and answer those for you so that you can do what it is you're supposed to be doing. And so I think the first potential question he answers is this. For us, we might ask, where should the Lord be praised? And we see right away in verse 1, it says, praise God in his sanctuary. Again, another name for God, the name L-E-L, -E emphasizing essentially the power of who God is. 
what is possessed within him, the power that he has. It's best to understand that idea of sanctuary as the place where God's holiness dwells. In the Old Testament, where did God's holiness dwell? In the tabernacle, right? We had the opportunity. We've been teaching the kids the last several months, Christina and I, and our lesson a few weeks ago was about the tabernacle. And I remember getting to that point thinking, should I skip this lesson? It's not really a story for the kids. How do I make this sound interesting? And we spent our whole time together talking about what should the high priest wear and what was the tabernacle like. And I wanted the kids to walk away with this thought. God is very specific about what he expects us to do, right? God had a specific place where he said, my presence will dwell here. You can't come too close to me, but I want you to know that I'm here. And we are told to praise God where his presence dwells. Where does God's presence dwell today? It's in us. Does that mean that we can only praise God at church? For the Jews, that's kind of what it meant for them, right? We want you to come here to worship God and bring your worship to him here and your praise. Talk about him there, but he's only really dwelling here. Where's a place that you can go where you can praise God? Any suggestions? Anywhere. Oh, man, you guys are just like kids when you answer the, you ask the question like, hey, what are you thankful for? Everything. Let's narrow it down just a little bit. What's a specific place that you could go to where you can praise God? In your car, okay? In your home? Yeah. Where else? Work? It's funny because, Kevin, you, you mouth worked and somebody else over here said work. And it wasn't the male voice that said work over there. <laughs> but to me, it looked like it was you. You threw your voice over there? That was really good. Where else can we go where we can praise God? Where's that? We can go to church. It's not like we can't go to church. We can, yeah. In the mountains, yes. Where else can we go to praise God? What's that? Down by your bedside, right? Yeah. And, and really, like, to summarize it, we said it at the beginning. We can go everywhere to praise God, right? We don't have to be limited to only when I'm around other Christians. Only when people aren't looking at me. We can praise God anywhere. God is with us everywhere. So shouldn't we consider praising him wherever we go? We're told to. In his sanctuary, the place where he dwells. The verse goes on to say this, praise him in the firmament of his power. That term firmament, we can best understand it as heaven. Now, we can't be in heaven yet. And in Genesis, it talks about, you know, where God dwells, separating the firmament, all this, this stuff like that. But um, I don't mean that to sound bad. What I'm moving on to is the idea that we have the opportunity one day to praise God in heaven, don't we? Right? And that is where God dwells. Though we say he's in us, God's presence dwells in us, but it also dwells in heaven. Is there a little bit of an impression here that we are not the only ones who should be praising God? But one day when we get to heaven, won't it be nice to praise God face to face? I mean, we we listen to that song, we'll see Jesus face to face. I don't know about you, but sometimes I've thought like, well, if everybody else wants to stare him face to face, when will I get my turn? You know, is it going to be like a bunch of people trying to push each other out of the way? And you're like, you already had your turn. And Jesus standing up like, it's okay, guys, we got a lot of time. Just make a line. Face to face one day we get to be with God and praise him for who he is, what he's done. And right now we're told, hey, for now, while we're on earth, wherever you go, God's presence is with you. Choose to praise God. Shout hallelujah about who he is. So where should the Lord be praised? The conclusion is this. Wherever you go, praise the Lord. But another question that might have been raised or a question that we might ask ourselves, why should the Lord be praised? 
We're told in verse 2 to praise him for his mighty acts. We're supposed to praise the Lord for what he's done. Has God done some amazing, amazing, mighty things? Things that kind of are beyond our mind. We use that phrase, it blows my mind to think of what God has done. Can you remember anything in the Old Testament that God did that might be considered something amazing, a mighty act? The Red Sea, right? If I could have seen that Red Sea part, and I think I've asked you to get this before. How many of you would have put your hand in the water as you walked past, right? Just kind of drug it in there, wondering what would happen. Where else? What, what other acts did God do in the Old Testament? Mighty acts. I'm sorry, creation, right? One child asked me several months ago, they said, Pastor Tony, what do you think God was doing when he was waiting in the dark before he created things? I said, I don't know, it wasn't dark yet. Right, like he hadn't created the dark to wait in it, so I really don't know. Amazing though. God had, super creative. Where, somebody else said something else. Right, the sun to stand still? Exactly. I mean, we think of that event in the context of everybody that was involved, but what about everybody else who was watching from a distance? Like, mom, is it bedtime? Apparently not yet. I guess you guys can play for another hour. Right? What else? What else did God do that was a mighty act? Manna. Right? Water from the rock. Again, we've been talking about that with the kids. And to think that God said, I'm going to send you the same food every day, and you're going to like it. And obviously the people complained. And he said, I'll even send you just enough for today. And I'm going to do it all over again tomorrow. And all over again the next day. And he gave them the water. He provided for those people for that many years that they were wandering. What else did he do in the Old Testament? I mean, even the garden, right? What a beautiful place that God provided everything they needed. And said, I'm even going to walk with you. And we can talk while we're here. What about the New Testament? Some mighty acts of God. If you think now presented through Jesus Christ, what are some mighty acts that he did? He died and rose again, right? Amazing. What else? Pentecost? Yeah, right? Can you imagine being in a room and it just shakes and wind blows through and suddenly this voice is just, what would that have been like to be there for the birth of the church? Amazing feeling the presence of God in that way. Lazarus. Everybody else says, oh, he's going to stink. This isn't going to work. People are weeping. People are crying louder because they get paid more. And all of a sudden, this guy walks out. And what was that like? Like the people who were paid to cry, did they just stop? Like, oh, wait a second. I don't know what to do now. Am I still going to get paid? Right? <laughs> but there's Lazarus. What are we going to say, Larry? Uh, he took it away. Oh, he took it away. Is it Lazarus? Uh, Heal the sick, raise the dead. Think about that demoniac. He goes from chasing and scaring a whole town of people to sitting there and they're like, something's wrong with this guy. As if nothing was wrong before. Like now that he's calm, now something's wrong, right? Sometimes we think of the big and the amazing and we're just like, oh, wow. But has God done little things for us too that we would consider mighty acts? Did you take time to read any of the things that the kids wrote out here that they're thankful for? I took some time this week. Here's some things they wrote down. Ways that God has performed for us. Things that he's given us that we can be thankful for. That we can praise him for like these mighty acts. Somebody put down TV, Wi-Fi, YouTube, the beach, candy. Alex put a Reese's peanut butter cup up there on the wall. And so if anybody needs a fix, just like I told the kids, you could cut it, pull it out, stuff it with paper, tape it back up. Just saying, it's an option. One kid put down there, thankful for light, my coat, stuffed animals, a house, family, ice cream, holidays, air. That's a good one, right? Sleep, grandparents. Somebody wrote credit card. I checked. It's not my kid's handwriting, but it might be yours. And then we think about the other things God's done for us. 
He's given us salvation. Jay, you mentioned it. He died. He rose again. I had the opportunity at my grandma's memorial service to meet the man who walked through a blizzard to witness at my grandmother's door to share the gospel with her. And I stood there and I wept in his face and I just said, thank you for being a Christian. Thank you for sharing the gospel with my grandmother, which has impacted me, which has impacted my children, which will go on to impact more people. That's a mighty act of God. And that's what we should praise God for. I hope that if you are here tonight, you have asked God to forgive you of your sins. And if you would say, I know what you're talking about, but it's not real for me yet, I would love to take time to walk you through the Bible so that you can know for sure that that mighty act that God performed is something that can personally affect your life and give you a relationship with Jesus Christ. We are to praise God, commanded to praise God for his mighty acts. And it goes on to say in the rest of verse 2, to praise him according to his excellent greatness. Now not just what he has done, but think of his character. Praise him for who he is. Turn over to Psalm 106. Psalm 106, and you start in verse 1. And we'll just read verses 1 and 2. In Psalm 106, verses 1 and 2, it says this about God's character. It says, Praise ye the Lord, hallelujah. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good. For his mercy endures forever. Who can utter the mighty acts of the Lord? Who can show forth all his praise? Now turn back over to Psalm 145, verse 3. Closer to our text this evening. Psalm 145 verse 3. And you can find verses like this littered throughout the entire Bible. Talking about who God is. What he's done. His character. In Psalm 145 verse 3 it says this. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And his greatness is unsearchable. Try as you might. You will never be able to wrap your head around the character of God. Around the ability of God. And yet we are told that, hey, you can't understand it, but you need to praise God for who he is and what he has done. How do we know what to praise God for? How do we understand his character? It's by studying who he is. We come to church and we get preached to. At home, we open our Bibles and we read. We spend time in prayer. You can listen to people online You can watch movies about God. You can read blogs. Parents, can I give you three resources that I think are fantastic? I've worked through with some of your kids, and I'm working through with mine. I brought them up here, and if you're interested in seeing them afterwards, I'll leave them up here. This book right here, it's called I Am. It says 40 reasons to trust God. It's 40 stories based on names of God that just says, here's who God is. Here's what his name says about him. Here's how the Bible proves that to be true. We worked through this in the children's worship service for a year and a half with your kids to try to remember. They won't remember all the names now. But can we learn about God from a kid's book? Yeah. Especially even for us. I mean, I'm telling you, I learned things. This is a great way for us as adults to read kids. How many of you would say that it's okay for adults to read kid books? Yeah, that's the way I wrote a couple of reports in college. Just saying. Here's another one. Our son loves science. 
This book is called Indescribable, 100 Devotions About God and Science. I'm not saying it's filled with scripture. I'm saying it gives you a Bible verse, gives you science or something in nature that explains this phenomenon shown within the verse and wraps it up and says, here's who God is and here's what is so amazing about him and how this means he's there for you. And we're getting toward the end of this book with our son and I thought, what else am I going to be able to grab to be able to talk through this topic that he loves And the author went and wrote a hundred more devotionals about science and nature. Could he write seven or eight more of these books? Exactly. This one's called How Great Is Our God. Can this stuff teach us about God? If we're supposed to praise him for his mighty acts, and we're supposed to praise him for who he is, then it's our responsibility to get to know that information about him. So when we ask the question, why should the Lord be praised? The conclusion is this. For what he does and who he is, praise the Lord. For what he does and who he is, we should be praising the Lord. Another question, though, a third potential question that we could ask. How should the Lord be praised? And you look there at verses 3 through 5, and I won't read through it again, but I just summarize it this way. We should praise him with a lot of instruments. How many of you have ever played an instrument growing up? Okay, I played the piano. I played the violin. Notice I'm saying played. Um, I played the trumpet, the recorder. One time I blew through a harmonica. Um, The kazoo, right? Because lots of people can play the kazoo. I can whistle. I remember playing the piano until you got to the point where you had to use two hands. It took me five years to get to that point, okay? That's a long time. And when I got there, I was kind of like, this isn't for me. Do you have to be able to play an instrument to praise God? No. No. When you look at these instruments, though, I remember thinking when I was studying this text, why these instruments? A lot of these instruments were used in the organized worship in the Old Testament. In fact, uh, if you want to write this verse down and check it out later, Nehemiah 12, 27. The people have finished building the wall, and it says that they gathered together these others who could play instruments so that they could praise the Lord and thank him for what he had done. Not every one of these instruments is mentioned, but several are. I was reading about them again this afternoon. Why these instruments? Certain of these instruments were the ones that would call people to come and worship for very specific reasons. But again, bringing people together to say through these instruments, you can praise the Lord. Let me give you another reference. Psalm 81, 1 through 2. Again, mentions some of these very same instruments saying, praise the Lord. Use this, use this, use this. Psalm 149, verse 3. You can look right across from where we are right now. Look at Psalm 149, verse 3. Let them praise his name in the dance. Let them sing praises unto him with the timbrel and harp. Can we use our voices to praise God? Right? Do you enjoy singing with one another when we sing here at church? Maybe songs that we're really familiar with, new songs that we're learning. But sometimes just to sit and listen to one another sing. I mean, if we all do it at the same time, that'll be weird. But I'm saying if we take turns, we don't have to figure this out. But anytime you want to, just take time to listen to one another, praising God with our voice. Our voice is a sufficient enough musical instrument for us to use to praise God. But what are some other ways that we can praise God? Besides just music, besides our voice, can you think any other ways? We can talking, talking. We can serve others. What else could we do? We could write it down. 
Hey, when I, was, when I was in Portugal, I had the opportunity to share this message on a Sunday night. And right before I got up to share, a lady said, oh, wait, wait, while we're taking time to give testimonies, can I read a poem that I wrote about God? I'm really excited to share it with you guys. I don't know what she said. I could see the passion in what she said. And people amening. Can we use poetry to praise God? Sure can. We're reading about it right now, right? Could you write an email and praise God in that email? Could you use social media to praise God? Right? Are there people who can't even talk that are able to use their hands to praise God? Right? Our time with one another. Some of you like to make movies and post them on social media. You could do that to praise God. Our lifestyle can be used to praise God. We can share our answered prayers. We can share our testimony tonight, as you guys did, to praise God for the way he has done a mighty act in your lives and be reminded about the act he did in ours. So when we pose the question, how should the Lord be praised? I'd put it this way. Pick a method and then praise the Lord. Pick a method. You have all the tools you need to be praising God, so pick one and start doing it. And then a fourth potential question that could be asked. Who should praise the Lord? I think verse 6 is, uh, is pretty self-explanatory, where it says, let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. It gets to a point here with the verb where it changes a little bit of the form, and it literally reads that you need to be praising the Lord, continually be praising the Lord. Not just go praise God, but make it a part of who you are. And make it something that is normal for you that you are praising the Lord. It literally reads this. All breath be praising the Lord. And for now, we can choose if we want to praise God, right? We have that choice. We could easily say, "Eh, I'm kind of embarrassed. I don't really want to say praise the Lord. Yeah, you know. Pastor Art, I think you gave that illustration about the horn in the car on Wednesday night. Were any of you here Wednesday night? Yeah, okay. Something about you went to honk the horn in the big car and it was like, Can you make the noise? Okay, exactly, right? You expect it to have some gusto, some flair. We as Christians are told, be praising the Lord. Yay, Jesus. Right? For now, we can choose. Remember what the Bible says, though, in Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11? He gave him the power. He's above everything. So that one day at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Whether they can choose it or not. God is going to be praised. We have the choice to voluntarily obey him and praise him for all of everything we've talked about while we're here on earth. So who should praise the Lord? If you're breathing, praise the Lord. Everybody take a big breath. That's you. That's me. We're to be praising the Lord. And he finishes with this summary that we already talked about. And he says this. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. And just in case you forgot. Praise you the Lord. I want to remind you one more time. Praise the Lord. So here's my question for you as we bring this all together. Are you going to choose to praise the Lord this week? Will you choose to praise the Lord wherever you go? Are you going to choose in your life this week to praise the Lord for what he's done and who he is?
Will you intentionally make the conscious choice to praise the Lord in some type of way? Not just by accident, but to actively pursue praising God. Will you do that this week? While you're breathing, are you going to choose to praise the Lord? You should. God expects us. He tells us to do it. And he definitely deserves it, right? Doesn't God deserve our praise? So, I want to encourage you with this. This week, find a way, a time, a place to brag about God. And see where the conversation leads after that. Couldn't this be a nice way to step into the gospel with somebody else? A nice way to remind someone of who God is? To rescue them and give them hope for their future? 